Blog Talk Radio. Another Sports Tonight broadcasting live from Avalon, New Jersey. I'm one of the weather guys, and like today, I think the show to Nick Dufresne Jr. Carrie, his wife just got married in Atlantic City. People are still recuperating for the wedding, but if you want to buy a house in Avalon, New Jersey, compassrealty.com, 
Back to Welcome Legends, as always, Mr. Roy Cummings, Mr. Roger Hendler, Mr. Don Henderson. Sorry, guys, I'm under the weather tonight, so I'm going to on for a little bit, okay? We got you, Tommy. We'd like to uh, also remind everybody that uh, Roy Cummings will be with us in just a second. Daryl Ledbetter will be with us from Atlanta. And, of course, Mike Zimzak always, and as well as Doug yes. Hamilton. But before we start, yes. uh, one of our guests tonight uh, we'll talk about in just a moment. But, Frank, you have a very, very important dedication. Yes. Yeah, there's, we've in, uh, in our lifetime, we've had a chance to meet with two owners of sports teams that are extremely good people, not just to not walk around and make people think they're good. They were good to their players, they're good to their family, still good. Mr. Rooley Carpenter, uh, unfortunately, the former uh, owner of the Phillies, passed away on Sunday afternoon. Uh, and he lives in South in Beaver Valley, uh, just south of Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. Uh, for many years, Rory allowed uh, any first responder to hunt and fish on his property. He also um, was very much into the boys and girls clubs of Wilmington, Delaware. And the first day of fishing every year, he would make sure that he could stock the streams and his ponds so that every child came got a rod, a reel, a tackle box, and a fish that they could take home. So we're dedicating the program tonight in his memory. Absolutely, and one of the great, great owners in baseball, and one we had a great opportunity to work with, all of us that are on the show tonight, had a great opportunity to work with Rudy Carpenter, a, a Yale graduate. Uh, we had him on the show, uh, most folks will remember, about seven or eight months ago. And we kidded him about uh, being president of the Philadelphia Phillies. And he said, yeah, well, it helps when your father's the owner. <laughs> the youngest <laughs> president to ever uh, be associated with a professional team and one of the great guys that we've ever worked with. So we want to just take a moment. And at 8.30, Larry Shank, the oldest public relations director of any team in the National League or American League at this time, is going to join us. He lives and has lived with. Rooley Carpenter down in Delaware. They grew up together. Their kids uh, played together. And he was the uh, public relations director through all of our times. Uh, Roger Hendler, as I said, in Atlanta, uh, myself. And, and we just had so many associations with him. So rather than go on now, we'll get on with the show. But we will have Larry Shank joining us at 8.30 to talk about the great owner, Rooley Carpenter. Roy Cummings, nice to have you with us. And... Uh, as always, I guess we better talk about the, the football first because our man did it again in the last, <laughs> the last what, minute, 12 seconds. He took the, the Buccaneers from defeat to, to victory. Go ahead. Don't give Tom Brady a minute and change to, uh, to beat you guys. That's the lesson. Uh, <laughs> if we haven't learned it yet, uh, boy, oh, boy. You just you got to figure out a way to hold on to that ball a little longer. Uh, you know, I wouldn't even give him 30 seconds. He's going to find a way. But uh, you're right. Uh, look, the Bucks didn't play an exceptionally good game. Secondary was uh, was picked apart, uh, beaten pretty bad, badly in some cases. Pass rush was just adequate. Um, Brady got rushed himself a little bit. Uh, Bucks didn't run the ball exceptionally well. But uh, Tom Brady is going to always give you a chance and. Um, He's still, he's, you know what, I don't know why we even talk about his age. He doesn't look his age. He doesn't play his age. 
Um, when, when he gets a minute and change, as he did against uh, Dallas, even on opening night, you know, against a, you know, a team that was playing pretty good football that night, uh, he, he still found a way to do it. And uh, he doesn't look anything like what uh, people think he should look like at this uh, stage in his career. So uh, he's got some kind of he, – he's found the fountain of youth. There's no doubt about that. And um, he looked exceptional doing it uh, on, on Thursday night. Tell us, everybody that's on the show with us tonight, just like to take a minute. We'll just sort of take a sidestep, uh, do a sort of sidebar uh, before we come back to the National Football League and ask uh, each individually uh, what you thought of the Monday night football game with the two Manning brothers working uh, uh, ESPN2 along with the broadcast. What did you think of that broadcast of Monday night football? Well, I'll uh, start it. I thought it was terrific. And I thought that having Russell Wilson on there, Don, uh, brought a lot to it. And it, it was very relaxing, <clears throat> excuse me, when he said he had a lot of film study to do. But his kids were in bed, so he didn't mind staying up, uh, you know, into the OT. Uh, but I think, you know, it was the first of uh, ten they're going to do. And uh, I went uh, back, I went to them for quite a while. Uh, after watching the regular broadcast, and I got to be honest with you, I am not a fan of uh, ESPN's broadcast team. Uh, I just think that uh, there there's better ones. Matter of fact, I thought on Sunday uh, the Eagles Falcons uh, had I think the uh, what number two group now, and it was or the number two team, and it's uh, Kevin Burkhart, and it was uh, Greg Olson. And Pam Oliver, I thought they did a uh, terrific job, and that was uh, Greg Olson's first uh, game uh, doing a uh, uh, analyst. So that's my opinion. Roy, yeah, I, I'll echo everything uh, Roger just said. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I, I sometimes there's there's a couple of uh, teams in baseball where you can listen to them, and uh, and they really have great chemistry. You ever listen to a, a San Francisco Giants game with Mike Kruko and um, uh, and his partner? Uh, you know, it's two former ball players uh, sitting there, and a lot of times, I mean, and if you, I've, I've I've been there and I've done it, uh, and I know what it's like to, to be on a bench in a on a professional baseball team and in a major league game, and and that's what it sounds like. And 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 I got that feeling that this is what it sounds like. Um, maybe in a meeting room or, or in a t- film session or certainly on the bench uh, between maybe a, an offensive coordinator and a quarterback or something like that, listening to the, to the Manning brothers. And then, you know, you throw Russell Wilson in there too. And it was, it was just tremendous insight. And um, I really liked that ESPN uh, went there and did it. Uh, look, I, I think TV's got to find new ways to draw fans uh, to them. Um, because they're getting competition now from streaming services and things like that. And, uh, you know, there's, there's just a lot of ways people can, can follow games. And I think they've got to try to do something a little bit different. And this was a little bit different. And uh, I'll tell you what, it was so good that I'm anxious and can't wait for the next one. I uh, hope it's just as good, if not better. Well, my personal opinion is, but, Tommy, let's get yours first. Uh, that would be a postmortem at this point. Okay, Frank, a comment? Okay, Frank, let's have yours. Right. (laughs) I I, I thoroughly enjoy um, both brothers. I think uh, 
they have a, a good interaction between themselves, but they know the game. And the way they can break the game down and then bring it, and as you were saying before, bringing Russell Wilson in there really helped out. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope I, they, you know, they keep it up. You know, guys, one thing, uh, you know, um, Peyton Manning has such a great personality anyway. I, th- I think he could do anything he wants uh, going forward. He, he could be the next uh, <clears throat> host of Jeopardy. But, um, I mean, you know, he's certainly funny. He's done the Saturday Night Live shows a few times, and he's been tremendous there. He's got a great personality, and he allows that to come out. And he did it again, you know, in this setting. So I think the more comfortable he gets, uh, again, the better these uh, these episodes, you know, these games are going to be um, with these guys on there. I, I think it was great. Uh, it was tremendous for the fans. And uh, Roger, I'm with you. They can they can change out the A team uh, on Monday night uh, for the B team anytime, and I'll be uh, I'll be happy for it. Well. I- <laughs> What they do you think, haven't, Don? They really haven't settled very much. Uh, there's, you know, this is really an experiment. Uh, last year, they put them together at the last moment, trying to get some type of, uh, you know, continuity within the broadcast, especially with Levy uh, moving away from the moving away from the hockey and so forth, and coming over uh, to do football. Uh, my only objection to it is, uh, we've got too many people now. You got three guys in the booth, you got the two Mannings, and then I have a guest. Along with them, now you got six people talking about the game, and I agree with both of you. You're you're going to get some insight from the Mannings, and you're going to get some comedy, I guess, out of the guest, out of the former player or current player that they're going to use. But now, what do you do with the three guys that are doing the game? Uh, and uh, so, I just think it's myself. I want to see the game. If I don't even turn the sound on. I, I like it better. I don't. I don't listen to the game very much with the sound on. I listen to it with it off. But adding on to that, all three of you or four of you, uh, what did you think of the game itself? Uh, Roy, we'll start with you. Well, I, I thought it was an intriguing game. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I didn't have a, a horse in the in the race, so it didn't matter to me who won. But uh, if you were able to stay up and watch it till the end, uh, you saw one of the great finishes, and uh, uh, not of all time, but certainly one of the better finishes we're going to have this season. It was a, a tremendous uh, overtime game. Uh, you know, I don't think either team played exceptionally well, um, but you know what? You saw a little bit of, you know, what can happen when Lamar Jackson. He's such a weapon with his legs, but you also realize that uh, maybe it's not the best thing to do to run him all the time because he doesn't uh, protect the ball very well. Um, you saw John Gruden uh, figure things out, uh, lean on some of his strengths, his newfound strengths with uh, with his young tight end and uh, his young receivers and a uh, quarterback who's you know is as good as anybody in those clutch situations like that. Plus, you, you saw a kid emerge in Crosby on the defensive uh, line for the Raiders who uh, who could really be a, a star in this league going forward. So I, I thought it was a good game, uh, better a better game than I thought the matchup allowed to begin with. And um, going back to the the commentary, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Don, in the fact that you know we we got a few too many uh, voices now, and I think they've probably got to continue the experiment for a couple of weeks, but then maybe settle on on three voices. Period. And and again, I'd be fine if the, the second and third are Peyton and Eli Manning. I I agree. I just say you can't have six people broadcasting a game, no matter how much insight they're going to give you uh, as former players. Uh, or broadcasters, and 
you know, not I'm not criticizing them individually. I'm just saying that I don't I don't appreciate six. I don't appreciate three most of the time, much less six. Roger, what did you well, think of the game? Well, yeah, well, I don't get where you have the six. I mean, the ESPN. You got had three on the broadcast, and they got two the two Mannings and a guest. Yeah, but that that was on ESPN too. I didn't I, I didn't I didn't think there was any problem with six people, Don, because I didn't watch. After a little while, I just went to ESPN two and watched the game on ESPN two. That was it. I, I didn't go I will, back. To I will tell you this: I did the same thing. I I went to the game. I took. You know, because it just overwhelmed me with all these people talking about the game. And uh, I'm watching the game. I don't need them to tell me about the game. But anyway, what you th- I mean, I, because I thought there was some interesting well, I thought the game was. Well, I thought the game was tremendous, just like Roy said. And, and I, I thought what was really uh, tremendous was the, the, what they thought was the climax, the end. And everybody's congratulating the, each team. And it wasn't the end. And then the Ravens almost had a, a, a chance, well, they had a chance to win, and they didn't. And then the uh, Raiders came back and did win it. I just thought it was a tremendous uh, end of the game, and, and the game, I enjoyed it immensely, and I stayed up to watch the whole thing. Well, I agree with that 100%. I thought it was to... a great, one of the great finishes that we're ever going to see. I thought two things. One, it certainly proved that in this particular instance, replay was invaluable because otherwise it would have been a touchdown. The game would have been over with three seconds to go, and the winner you know, would have been the Ravens. However, yeah. my, point, my point is that uh, they showed the replay. The knee was clearly down. There was no question about it. We talked about Atlanta, and I know we're going to have Ledbetter on later. We talked about Atlanta in the Super Bowl. And we talked about Atlanta the first two games of last year when Quinn was still the coach, that they should have won and lost. I think the Ravens, by losing this game in the last in the overtime period, I don't think they'll ever make up for it this year. I said it with Atlanta last year. I know they're going to make up for two losses they should never have had. And I don't think the Ravens are going to make up for this because they're on a half-yard line with first and goal to go and don't score. So uh, I think this is going to come back to Harlem. They got another really tough game this weekend, but that was my observation. Yeah, I thought it was a great game to watch. There were a lot of great things within the game, uh, but I just thought those two points—the replay, which I'm, you know, never too much in favor of—but here I thought it worked to 100%. And then the way the game turned out uh, was was just remarkable to me, Roy. Yeah, um, look, I. To, I'd, I'd be a little bit hesitant to, to say that this is going to kind of set the tone for the Raider, for the uh, Ravens going forward. I could see how it could, um, you know, because uh, it was a, it's it's a, it's a disturbing loss. And, and guess what? They're they're still in a tough division. Uh, you know, the Central is going to be very tough for them with, uh, with Cleveland, obviously, and uh, who lost a tough one themselves. Uh, right, Pittsburgh right. comes out and surprises. I guess surprises Buffalo, although. Should we be surprised that the Steelers, you know, beat Buffalo? I understand that most people think that Buffalo is taking a big step forward, and maybe uh, the Steelers have taken a step back. But you know, Sunday showed me that um, maybe not so soon. Maybe maybe it's too soon to believe that. So, um, look, I, I thought at the end of the day, the Monday night game was a, a cap, a great cap to what had been a really really good weekend of football, starting on Thursday night with the Bucks Dallas game, which I think was. 
better than a lot of people thought it would be. Um, Dallas gave Tampa Bay a great game, forced Brady to be Brady at the end. Had a lot of good games on Sunday, obviously. Um, you know, the Cleveland-Kansas City game. Yeah, look, even um, it wasn't one of the best games, but uh, we haven't talked about the, the Eagles yet, who looked really good uh, against Atlanta. And, um, you know, so I, I thought it was a, a great cap to a good weekend of football. I would agree with that. I think every point you made there is 100% on target. Uh, Roger, we'll go back to you because I saw most of the Eagle game, uh, if not all of it. Uh, Hurst had a very, very big day. What they scored, 32 points. I don't have the number in front of me, but I think they scored 32. Uh, they really came out of the gate very, very strong, Roger. Well, you know, it's ironic, Don. Uh, I, re- I watched it today. I only saw a part of it on Sunday. I was uh, listening to it. We were at church. But I, uh, but watching it today, it was interesting. And I'm going to talk to Daryl about this. Uh, you know, Arthur Smith uh, hesitated, and he never threw the the uh, replay flag. And if he did, the that catch that was in you know instrumental in a in a uh, drive that the Eagles had the catch by Zach Ertz would have been reversed. And that may have changed the whole flow of the game for the Falcons. Who knows? But, uh, you know, I think that, that the, the one thing that has come up about the Nick Sirianni is they're very disciplined. Now, that was one game. I think we'll, we'll know after two, three, four games. But the, uh, that uh, one uh, touchdown pass, uh, that the way Ertz, it wasn't a pick but it did exactly what a pick would do to allow the, uh, the, the, the catch. But I, I agree with uh, all of you. I, I thought the weekend for the first, uh, without having, uh, you know, a lot of play, a lot of action in the preseason with the regulars, I thought the first weekend was tremendous to get the season started. I agree 100%. I think the other thing was the teams that we expected to be bad, the Jets and the Giants, Turned out to be just as bad as we anticipated. Uh, I agree with Roy. I think Buffalo, uh, everybody pretty much had Buffalo giving uh, giving a real run uh, within their division to to win the championship, and it didn't didn't turn out that way. Roy, uh, maybe there are a couple of things that you'd like to touch on rather than my bring up something. Uh, maybe some things you'd like to touch on, either on the baseball front or football or whatever. Well, we may as well stay with football. I mean, uh, the Phillies are uh, playing the Cubs right now and trying to hang in to, you know, hold on to some hope for the playoff spot here. Nothing, and, uh, nothing right now in the third inning. Uh, and so we'll wait and see. Last night the Phillies yeah, went, so, went down the two. So on a terrible there, game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, a, gr- a very good week for, uh, for the NFL. And, uh, you know, I think to me one of the bigger shocks was uh, – the level that Green Bay played at uh, and Aaron yeah. Rodgers just did right. not look competitive. Um, I mean, you know, you hear about Aaron Rodgers not being there all off season and and everything else. And he, he, look, we know that he was, uh, we know he's upset, and he didn't like. You know, he, you know, he, he basically. I, I, I got to give credit to Aaron Andrews, who I thought had a tremendous interview with uh, with Aaron Rodgers that was shown on the pregame show. Uh, ahead of the game, and uh, where, where basically he came out and said, in essence, I mean, he didn't use these words specifically, but he wanted the Tom Brady treatment, that he wanted the opportunity to more or less 
uh, and Aaron framed the question perfectly, um, you know, he wanted the opportunity to basically, uh, you know, pick his team, uh, recruit the team that he wants. I mean, let's face it, Tom Brady got that opportunity here in Tampa. When he said he wanted Gronk, they went and got Gronk. When he said he wanted Antonio Brown, they went and got Antonio Brown. He said he wanted Giovanni Bernard, they've got Giovanni Bernard. And, you know, who knows who else uh, they brought in that, that he's wanted. Um, but in essence, you know, he had a say in, uh, in, in who surrounds him, at least on the offensive side of the ball, at, the, at some of the skilled positions. It was clear that Tom Brady in that interview said, you know, I felt like I, I deserve that same opportunity to, in, in essence, you know, pick some of the players that, uh, that we're going to have here. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with him, um, I, I also see the argument where you say, hey, look, your job is to play quarterback and run the plays that, that are called you know, by, the, by the coordinator or the coach. Um, and when you see a need to, to change at the line, you go ahead and change at the line. But you know, until you, you throw the touchdown pass that keeps you in the playoffs against Tampa you know, a year ago, shut up. But I get that. But at the same time, I, I sort of see where uh, he came from. And, and, and all I'll say is when it came, out, came to Sunday, he didn't look very good. And I, and I sort of get the feeling that, you know, when you talk about uh, something setting the tone, you almost get the feeling that the tone has been set in Green Bay, and, and it may not be a very good tone that's been set. That I'm, I, Look, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is, is focused now, but, you know, an offseason of maybe not as much uh, attention to, to detail and, and the game as he's uh, accustomed to, Maybe he's paying for it right now. If it takes that team a month to to get to, to kind of find its footing, um, I don't think it'll be too late in that division because I still don't believe in the Bears, um, and I don't believe in the in the Lions. But uh, at the end of the day, it, it could still be detrimental to them. I thought it was a great interview too. I thought she did a terrific job. They really had promoted the day before uh, many, many, many times. But I think in one in this particular case. I think it was well promoted and it was well executed. I thought it was a great interview. Roger, uh, not only did uh, he have a tough weekend the first weekend after all the complaining all the season about not wanting to be in Green Bay, but we're going to find out Monday night whether he's going to bounce back because he's going to be the national game on Monday night, and he better play a lot better than he played on Sunday. Well, I, I'm sure he will, but I agree uh, uh, with you, both of you, uh, about the situation with him. And I, I, what I don't understand, now, granted, I understand that Green Bay is the only team that is owned by stockholders, okay? It's a corporation. But what I don't understand is that the president, and, then, and uh, I, I don't know about the new general manager, but the president is a former player. And I would think that he would want to do everything to uh, do the best for the team to uh, bring the people in. And I think the, uh, the Brady Gronk commercial uh, that's on now, I mean, that is a classic. I mean, if you're not laughing at that, I mean, you know, I think when, you know, the, the ending line from Gronk is, hey, Mom, where's my football pants? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a w- well done, the two of them. It's it a little you know, different. There's no question about it. In fact, he's got a couple right now that are running. They're in yeah, the same vein. I, I agree with you. I think at least for a period of time, they're going to keep your interest. I don't know whether it's going to work out for three months or anything. We'll wrap it up. Yeah. 
Well, I'll say this, and, and, and I know you guys got uh, Orlando coming on, so uh, I'll leave it to him. But but I'll say this, guys. Look, we and I think I've said this before here, but we are seeing Tom Brady's personality come out here in Tampa, and and the same with Gronk. I mean, Gronk, it's like the it's like the off season Gronk almost that we see here during. I mean, these guys are focused. They're pros. They know exactly what they have to do to get ready each week for every game. But at the same time, uh, you know, we're seeing the personalities come out. And, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean much, you know, on, between the lines on Sunday afternoons. But what I'm, the point I'm making is these guys are, allow, are being allowed to have some fun with football right now. And, and they, they, what they're proving is they can have fun, enjoy themselves, and still get the job done as well as anybody else in the game. And uh, I don't know that – they would be allowed to do that in New England, and you know, I understand Bill Belichick's way. Nobody can argue with it, but I think Brady and Gronk at least are proving that they're so good at what they do that they can go to another system and take a completely different approach to everything, including uh, you know their off-season uh, duties and things like that, and and still get the job done. And I think it's great. And again, the way this t- relates to uh, Aaron Rodgers is, look, if you just let Aaron Rodgers make him happy, and you'll probably get the best Aaron Rodgers there is. They're not getting the best Aaron Rodgers right now, and how can we possibly argue that it probably has something to do with the fact that he just isn't very happy where he is right now? If you're not happy where you're at, you're probably not going to play it at the highest level, and I think the Packers are going to suffer from it this year. Roy, a fun half hour, I'll tell you. We talked about a lot of stuff in a lot of different directions. And uh, as always, it's always a fun half hour when you're on with us this first 730 to 8 o'clock. So I appreciate it very, very much. And, Roger, you got a always, guest on the line right great, now, so Roy. go to it. You have a great week, Roy. Okay? You're Thanks, the best. guys. Appreciate Thanks, you having me as always. Okay, we're switching over. We're staying with football, but uh, we're going uh, down the road here in Atlanta to D. Orlando Ledbetter, the uh, beat writer, a longtime beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with the Falcons. And, Daryl, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. Uh, I know it's. I've talked to Matt. It's uh, tough getting over there for me, not for me to get there, but, to, you know, because of the limitations. But um, – what what was the consensus uh, on Monday or Sunday night, actually? <laughs> Frank had to do that, Carol. But, uh, you know, I brought up uh, with Roy that uh, I watched the replay of the game today, and that uh, catch by Ertz was not a catch. And did uh, Arthur Smith talk about that he was indecisive about throwing the flag for the replay? Yeah, he did. We did talk about that. Uh, you know, he talked about his guys upstairs and how fast it's got to happen. You know, they did the one in the exhibition season, and they did it real fast. Uh, but just for game day, real life situations, they didn't. Uh, they didn't get it done quick enough to to save the team, and he just wanted to throw one out there without knowing. You know, he tries to, you know, tries to, you know, make sure it's a calculated uh, decision. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, definitely talked about, you know, and um, that was one of the many, many uh, problems that cropped up on his first game on Sunday. 
Daryl, Don Henderson with you, and uh, we talked in the first half hour about how perfected the replay was on the Ravens game. And, and that one call really changed the whole complexion of the game. It was 100% correct. They got it done quickly, uh, and it was, it was perfect, but it changed the whole complexion of the game. You're saying basically what happened in the Atlanta game with the Eagles, it didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't happen. I mean, I think when you got, uh, you know, you got about the fifth, you know, the crew was probably not the best crew. That game was on national <laughs> right. TV. Uh, uh, you know, you get the eighth or ninth of a crew, and, you know, they were making calls that weren't consistent. You know, the hit out of bounds on Eric Harris was, was called. One on the Falcons was not called on Cordero Patterson. So, you know, I was like, oh, man, they got the inconsistent officials, not the best equipment. But, you know, when you're further down the pecking line with the 2-4, 4-11-1-team, the 4-12-team, and 12 team, you know, you're not getting the same treatment as the, uh, you know, uh, Ravens and so forth and, um, on Monday Night Football. So uh, they, can, they can do it. Now they've got to get a uniform to where all the teams just get the same treatment. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe that will be something for them to strive for in the future. Don? Hey, Daryl, you know what? What, what? Yeah, what Don's point is great. And I'll tell you, I was listening to the game, and uh, Wes and Arch uh, made a point. Was it the line judge or the side judge where Arthur Smith was just about going out to uh, grab him, and the guy made no no move uh, to, to uh, call timeout that, that the coach was asking for? And I, I think that in a situation like that, which is so obvious, I think that's when the, the official needs to be uh, penalized. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think that'll be something that the team will turn into the league and uh, they'll try to handle internally. I mean, that, that's probably going to be points against that official when they do their scoring system to, you know, get playoff games and, and so forth. So, you know, over the course of the season, he'll have to – be more attentive and responsible to, um, you know, the officials. Because I know they grade them heavily, just like uh, the teams grade their players. The officials are being graded by the league office. And we need to see if the Falcons sent that into the office for, uh, uh, you know, for them to review it. Darrell Ledbetter, our guest, he's down in Atlanta, as Roger said at the top of the show, been covering Atlanta and football for so many years. The only team in the South to – to lose, you know, they, they're, a, they're in a tough, tough division. Give us sort of a thumbnail sketch of where you think the Falcons are at this particular moment, making a transition from last year with coaching and everything else to where we are today. Daryl? Did we lose Daryl? Go ahead, Daryl. Yeah, yeah, they, they're, I was saying, down there in a bad place. They flipped 11 starters, uh, didn't address their line. They figured that they could scheme around the line, uh, went out and got the wide receiver. So they're in a rebuilding mode with a veteran quarterback uh, and a uh, veteran defensive coordinator that they hope could stop some of the young quarterbacks they're going to face. Um, you know, it's not an all-out rebuilding, or didn't that's that was their plan, but it looks like uh, they're in for another long year here in Atlanta. Roger, you know, Daryl uh, Reed and I were talking about this. It's hard to believe that uh, Matt uh, came into the league in 2008, 
And, uh, you know, and, and uh, I guess this is what the fourth, uh, fourth head coach now. Right. And, uh, but uh, talk about the coaches in, in that period of time with Matt, uh, basically two were offensive, two were defensive, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Roger, it was three because you had uh, Dan That's... Quinn. I mean, you got Coach Mike, Dan Quinn, and now um, now uh, Arthur Smith. So you're um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So three, but Coach Smith was defensive oriented, played power football, ran the ball with Michael Turner and Mike Malarkey. Then they wanted to jazz it up a little bit and brought in Dirk Cutter. Uh, you know, got to the NFC Championship game. Uh, in 2012, and then, um, you know, started to go backwards because they couldn't draft linemen. Then uh, Dan Quinn came in and coached them up and got to the Super Bowl, but then his defense didn't hold up in the Super Bowl. So, um, and then, so he couldn't, eventually not drafting linemen again hurt them, and so uh, now they are in that same spot where they need linemen. Uh, And you've wasted a lot of Matt Ryan's years uh, because you weren't able to protect him and keep his pocket up to par. So now they're back to where they're going to have to run the ball. This guy, Arthur Smith, comes over from Tennessee where they had Derrick Henry, uh, and he threw off of Derrick Henry off the play action. So my, Matt's come full circle with um, the coaches and the style of offense that he's going to be running. And, uh, you know, the Falcons are going to have to find a running game here to, uh, you know, uh, make it better for him and his, uh, you know, later on in his career. Daryl, in the South, everybody's uh, anticipating Tampa Bay is going to do exactly what they did last year. Maybe not win the Super Bowl, but certainly going to win uh, many, many games during the course of the season. New Orleans, everybody thought, was sort of suspect until they uh, came up with a quarterback all of a sudden that uh, threw for five touchdowns. And in Carolina, and we're very familiar with Carolina because the former Temple coach and Texas A&M coach is down there. Uh, where do you see Atlanta in this division? Yeah, I see them as the last place team because, um, you know, they uh, they just don't have enough people, enough players to, to compete right now. Um, you know, Matt Ryan is, uh, you know, you got Calvin Ridley, you got Pitts. But you you don't have time to get them the ball, so this running attack is going to have to carry the day for them. Uh, and uh, the defense, we we saw Grady Jarrett and Deion Jones, and you know just a bunch of other guys over there. Uh, uh, AJ Terrell's a good young player at cornerback, but we'll see if this uh, this will be a big stress test for him on on Sunday going down to Tampa Bay and facing Tom Brady. So. Um, you know, it's just they're the last place team until they show otherwise. Roger? Well, you know, yeah, uh, the uh, Terry Fontenot is the uh, new general manager, young guy. Uh, I think, you know, he'll it takes a little while. He'll get things uh, straightened out. But uh, do you uh, hear from Thomas Dimitrov? Is he uh, working uh, in in professional football at all? I I'd love to get in touch with him to get some – uh, his uh, his thoughts about a lot of teams, but do you talk to him at all? Yeah, I did, and I have uh, during the whole Julio stuff. He's um, he's he's taking a year off. He went around visiting a lot of his GM friends around the league, uh, to you know see what they were doing and try to stay uh, up on the game and and so forth. Uh, so yeah, he's uh, 
I want to say he's out in Colorado where he has a home at and uh, uh, kind of um, trying to stay connected and stay plugged in in case he gets another opportunity. Looks like the New York uh, Giants might come open, and uh, maybe they'll be a good team for him. Yeah, Interesting. I, I, uh, maybe I you could tell us this. Uh, Daryl, did Atlanta, we didn't see very many of the uh, preseason games, which aren't really games at all. Did they use their front-line personnel at all, or did they go into the game, the first game against the Eagles, with primarily none of their first-line personnel playing? Yeah, they did not play uh, their first-line personnel at all. Uh, You know, they uh, played Kyle Pitts for two plays. They um, When they went on the field on Sunday, that was the first time they went and played somebody as a unit. They kept trying to say that the – the uh, joint practices with the Dolphins were the replacement for the exhibition games. But it looks like when you're having, um, you know, you're turn, turning out 11 starters, five on defense, six on offense, that even for continuity's sake, you should play those exhibition games, or at least a little bit of them. So they look sloppy. They look raggedy. The passing game was off. And, and those are all things you could have fixed possibly in the uh, exhibition season. So, uh, I think the coach outsmarted himself as a rookie coach. Uh, you can't replace game speed and game practice. Yeah, you risk the, you risk injury, but, I mean, so what? You're healthy now and your team's not ready to play. Yeah. Roger? Uh, how does how does this team compare to uh, the other teams uh, that we saw, you saw especially, uh, since Matt came into the league in 08? Would you say personnel-wise this is the worst uh, team as far as um, makeup goes? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so because you got a lot of guys, or unproven guys, or drafted guys that they're trying to play that, uh, you know, haven't really produced. The right tackle was a first-round pick. Caleb McGarry, he's, uh, he's a sack machine. Uh, and I mean, that he gives up sacks. Uh, John Kaminsky is a fourth-rounder, still on the roster. Uh, he hasn't even had a three or two tackle game yet, uh, so they're they're um, the talent level is not uh, is at a low point. Uh, the one year in thirteen, they they suffered all those injuries, so that team was talented, but they just couldn't get out the gate and lost a lot of people in that fifth game against the Jets, and uh, then they um, you know couldn't put it back together after those injuries started to crop in. So. Uh, this talent-wise, Terry Fontenot's got got a, a lot of work to do, and uh, he's coming from the Saints, and they they've been able to to get it at a high level and keep it there. Uh, so that's the hope here in Atlanta for the future. Daryl, if I can look at the game last weekend from a different perspective, everybody was really wondering about the Philadelphia Eagles. Nobody picked the Eagles to be a dominant team in the National Football League. Uh, I know in Baltimore's case, they lost a couple of key players uh, in the final scrimmage just before the season started, which really cost them. Your point a little bit ago, and I think you have to make that determination. Are you going to play your players and have them ready for that first game, or are you going to say, I don't want to get anybody hurt, and they're not ready for the first game? What do you do? Yeah, I think when you got a new team and you you play a lot of young people, um, you got to go ahead. I mean, you, this what this team wasn't going to the Super Bowl. This was not an obvious playoff team. They're going to have to get there and and get better as uh, as the season goes on. Uh, and, and so, 
they should have played. I could understand Baltimore not playing their folks or Kansas City or Tampa Bay, but uh, when you're going to have so much roster turnover and people playing each other with each other for the first time, then, you know, they needed to play. Roger? Yeah, you know, Daryl, uh, I agree with you on that. And what was the uh, your opinion of uh, the play of the Eagles, uh, you, you know, and, and of uh, uh, Nick Sirianni? Because I want to tell you, the uh, Philadelphia media initially, when he was hired, they were all over him. And uh, a friend of ours uh, who uh, we had on last week, Bill Warrendell, he said that Arthur Smith was really the Eagles' first choice to be head coach. Uh, I'd like your opinion about that. Yeah, uh, it was fun studying Coach Seriani with him being a Mount Union, uh, Ohio guy. I'm from up that way. So we talked about that at the end of the press conference. Uh, got to see, you know, learn about his brother at Washington and Jefferson and that his dad was a longtime coach and his brother coached uh, uh, in high school there too. So um, it was good to see, uh, you know, uh, them come out and play well. They were under control, well coached. Um, Jalen played within the offense, within the scheme. Uh, it was a well-put-together game plan. And I'm sure, you know, he's got a great staff to help him with that stuff. But, yeah, they look under control, poised. You got uh, good lines, uh, offensive and defensive lines. And uh, his job, he's a mostly a receiver's guy. And then offensive coordinator with the coach was to put together a plan around that. And uh, he did a great job. So the, the fellas – uh, and the media may have overreacted. You know, he wasn't a household name. Uh, you know, he certainly – the Eagles, I think, were the only team that interviewed him. And uh, But he looked to be off to a great start. He's got the ear of his team. They certainly came down here and played for him. So, um, you know, they might be off to some something big in Philly or at least getting it turned around and headed back towards respectability. Daryl, I want to thank you very much for this half hour. And uh, every time we have you on, we certainly learn a little something, not only about the Atlanta Falcons, but about the National Football League. So thank you very, very much. We appreciate all your time, and we'll get together as the season goes along. All right, Daryl, Daryl, always a pleasure. Thanks, Daryl. All right, thank you. Thank God. Take care for having me. You too. You got See it, you partner. Daryl, take care. Well, we make a hey, switch right. now. Go back to baseball. Right now, the Phillies are still in a nothing, nothing uh, game. Uh, playing, on. we're watching that as we're doing the show. And our special guest at and uh, this half hour is, is Larry Shank. And uh, we talked at the top of the show. We dedicated this show to Ruley Carpenter, the former owner and and president of the Philadelphia Phillies, and Larry Shank. Uh, Came right along with him. Larry lives in the Wilmington, Delaware area. He's known Rooney Carper, I guess, his entire life. He's been with the Philly organization for his entire life. Larry, I went back to your book today before I got you on. How many years is it now? Well, I had uh, 44 active as a PR director and another eight, I guess it was, as the uh, vice president of alumni relations. I got my last paycheck in 215, so I'm now officially retired the sixth straight year, I guess it is. So it had, I had a great ride. Well, you did have a hey. great ride. and You had great teams and you had terrible teams. But more importantly, yeah. you had a great owner. Tell us about Rooley Carpenter. A lot of folks along the line around the country don't 
No Rooley Carpenter that well. Don't even know the name right now because Rooley's been out for quite some time. Give us a little, uh, couple of observations about Rooley and some of your thoughts. Well, he was a he was a Wilmington kid. You know, his dad, his grandfather bought the Phillies in 1943, and put his grandfather uh, appointed his son Bob Carpenter uh, as the team president, and Bob ran the organization. And then in 1963, Rooley started working for the organization. He started out in the accounting department for a couple of years, and then Bob wanted him to go to the player development scouting and and, and player development to learn that phase of the organization. And uh, Rooley became acquainted with Paul Owens, who was a scout at that time in the Philly system, and, and he convinced his dad to bring Paul into the office in Philadelphia, put him in charge of player development, and um, and scouting, and uh, it developed into that team of the 70s that had a great run. We won three straight division titles and then culminated with the 1980 World Series. Um, and really, after the 80 World Series, the Atlanta Braves signed Claude L. Washington, I think, to a three-year, $3.5 million contract, and really didn't think that was a wise move. He decided in 81, uh, four months after we won the World's Championship, he was going to sell the team. Uh, so he, the, the family did that. The Carpenters owned the Phillies from 43 through 81, which is the longest tenure of any uh, or ownership in Phillies history. Really became president in 1972. As a 32-year-old, Bob decided he's going to retire and put Ruley in charge. And we had a great run under Ruley. Larry Shank, our special guest, we're talking about the uh, late, great Ruley Carpenter who really brought the Phillies out of nowhere and, and as uh, Larry just said, some of the greatest teams in the history of the National League uh, culminated with uh, Ruley Carpenter at the head. Uh, Ruley, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Larry, uh, Roger Hendler is in Atlanta, and Roger, go to it. Larry, you'll never be yes, retired in my mind. How are you? Uh, and, I can't. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I have Philly's blood say, in me. Uh, we both, uh, Don and I, both uh, lost our spouse, so we uh, relate to what you've been through. Okay. And, yes. uh, you know, God bless. Thank you. Thank but you I'll very say much. It, I, I think back to that 76, 77, 78, and things could have been a lot different with just maybe one play, one catch. Uh, but it was just a great time, and especially yes. after, you know, the, the period that uh, you had been through, like Don said, where there were ups and downs. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I look at uh, Dan Baker in his 49th year, would have been 50 if he didn't have uh, the health issue last year. And it just right. shows the stability uh, of the uh, the Phillies. And when you were, you were so close to Ruley, did he ever regret that the family sold the team when they did? No, no, no. He didn't. He didn't want to jeopardize the family's fortune. They didn't have the fortune that a lot of people do. He wasn't part of a large corporation. You know, they were sportsmen. They weren't totally businessmen. They were sportsmen, and it became a huge business in baseball. And we all know what happened after that. But while the Carpenters did own the team, Steve Carlton became the highest-paid pitcher in baseball in 1973. Years later, Mike Schmidt became the highest-paid player in baseball, and of course, they all remember that under the Carpenter regime, they signed Pete Rose, and he led us to the World Series. So, 
Uh, the carpenters, I think, at times were perceived as being cheap, but it wasn't that way. Uh, and of course, the game has totally changed since then. So uh-huh. I don't know how. Say, ever. I don't know how Larry, let's the- go back to the Pete Rose situation because a lot of people that are listening to us now, uh, you know, we're talking <laughs> we're talking a long time ago, and a, a lot of the youngsters maybe listening uh, don't know the ins and outs of the Pete Rose situation. But Bill Giles was very anxious to get Pete uh, over right. to the Philadelphia Phillies, but uh, so he had to do some negotiating with a lot of people to get the money to do that. Yes, uh, they met at Ruley Carpenter's house, and Bill told Pete, you know, if he stayed in the National League, he'd become the all-time hit leader in the National League, that he shouldn't go to American League Club. The Kansas City Royals were heavy after Pete. And I don't know if that had a bearing or not, but uh, they were they were, they were were apart on the, the, the money, you know. And then, But Bill came up with a plan. He went to the, the Taft Broadcasting Network, was, which owned our TV rights, and uh, got them to, to, to give him some money because they were going to have increased rates, you know, viewership, which meant increased rates for the, the advertising. So uh, that's how they, we, we got Pete. He came in here, and he's had five great years with us. Um, he, was, he, was the, he was the all-time hit leader. He broke the National League record at, at Veterans Stadium in 1981 um, and uh, went on from there. But I don't – I think Don agrees with that. Anybody agrees with it. We don't win the World Series if we don't have Pete Rose. Oh, exactly. Man. And Bob yeah. Boone does, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the play for people who don't know. There's a pop-up near the far end of the Phillies' dugout, which was at first base. Pete dropped the ball, and Booney caught it. Yeah. Booney, will tell you it wasn't, Booney will tell you it wasn't his play. He said, I came from home plate. To the end of the dugout, he just had a short distance to go. So that was Booney's view of it. But I well, Larry, I Larry, talk about uh, talk about the early days. Uh, for instance, when Larry Bow, who turned out to be one of the great all-time Phillies, not only as a player but manager, and one of the things that disappoints me more than anything else, I guess, is that you know when Larry was put on the ballot for the Hall of Fame, he didn't even get enough votes to be qualified for the next year, which I think was a disgrace. I think it was a disgrace. I agree with you. But uh, when Larry Larry came up, he was almost an entity within himself. Nobody else was there. I know. Larry Ball was signed for $2,000. They looked at some video on a a bedspread in a hotel during the World Series in 1965. There were 824 players drafted that summer. He was not one of them. But we were able to sign him. Paul Owens has been the, the farm director for about five months, and he, he knew we didn't have talent. We didn't have any depth in the Meyer Leagues. And he knew Boa could run and throw and hit. I mean, they couldn't hit. But, you know, and but Larry was an awful offensive player, but he had such drive in himself that he made himself into a great player. You know, I remember the first year we were in spring training, I think it was 67. He came in there as a kid. He was a skinny shortstop. He wore number 53. And Gene Mock had a great line, as only Gene Mock could do. <laughs> I can see him catch the ball. I can see him throw the ball. And I can, I can see him run. But when he hits, I don't hear anything. <laughs> you know, Larry went out. He was a right-hand hitter. The first game he played in pro ball, he was 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. It was in Class A at Spartanburg. The pitcher was Nolan Ryan. 
<laughs> no, no wonder. Oh, oh my. So he gets he gets to the big leagues in 1970, and is 0 for 4 as a as the leadoff hitter at Cunningham Stadium, the last home game, home opener of Cunningham Stadium history, 0 for 4, the pitcher was Ferguson Jenkins. <laughs> a former Phil. Good, yeah, yeah. The Hall of Famer, two Hall of Famers. So it was amazing. But he, you know, he was hitting like 195 at the end of May, and Frank Lucchese said, he's my shortstop. And by the end of the season, he batted 250. He wore the uniform longer than anybody in the Phillies' history when you take into the count yeah. as a player, as a coach, and as a manager. You know, so he, he's, to me, he's a, he's, he's a second coming of Richie Ashburn in the community because people love him. He's a feisty guy. He's, he's, he's a Philadelphia kid. You know, he, yeah. he loved mm-hmm. people who fight and scrap and get dirty, and that was Larry Bow. No question about it. Roger? You know, Larry, when you brought up that night that uh, Pete set the record, I'll never forget it. The uh, uh, Pete uh, Junior and the uh, Boom Boys were down, you know, at, at the vet in the bowels, and I go mm-hmm. out down there and I'm going to go get uh, some interviews. And I said to Pete Rose, uh, "How about if uh, you tell me all about how you feel about your dad with the record tonight?" Yeah. And he says to me, "How much do you pay?" I said, I'm not paying your father. I'm not paying you. <laughs> that sounds like Pete Jr. Yeah. Well, a couple of things, Larry, uh, when we talk about that, uh, I don't know whether you remember it or not specifically. I do. But there was a poster because Sam Musial was there. And uh, yes. so the two, of them, with the two of them at the press conference underneath that stadium uh, right. at the end of the night, and you, you – uh, you supplied everybody with a poster. One was with Stan Musial, one with uh, Pete Rose together, up at right hand, lower right hand, top, lower right, left. And uh, so my news director came to me, and he said, you know, i got to have the, one of these posters. And I said, well, I, I don't ask anybody for I don't have an autograph. I've been in here for 30 years. I never, I never got an autograph from anybody. So I said, right. I, I don't ask for any autographs. Said, oh, you've got to do you got to get this. I said, okay, I'll, I'll – I'll go ahead. I they, so when Pete was finished uh, with all of accolades on, in the uh, press conference, I went over to him and I said, Pete, uh, would you do me a favor? I said, I, I got two of these posters. Would you sign them for me? And Stan Buegel was standing right there. Stan said, Eric, I'll sign it. Give it to me. So I, he signed and Pete signed. I gave it to the news director and he said, I'll tell you what. He said, because you did that for me, I'll get it framed and I'll get it back to you. Well, he left for San Francisco, and I don't know where that poster is, but I can tell you one thing. I don't have it. <laughs> it's, in my, it's in my den. It's in my den, huh? Go ahead, Roger. It's in Larry's den. Uh, you know, I was telling Don earlier today, Larry, that uh, I, I have all the pictures uh, from the uh, implosion of the vet, and you know, and you were right there. And, uh yep. I, I, it's amazing, you know, this is before we had cell phones to take pictures and videos yes. and it was my camera, and I just kept on clicking, and it worked. And yep. I got it in sequence as the uh, stadium goes yeah. down, and that's just the day I'll never forget, and I know you won't either. Now, here's an interesting nugget about that. It took four years to build Veterans Stadium. It took 62 seconds to implode it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, Larry, I want to know what happened to our video down in the, they dug a hole. We remember we had that ceremony in front of the vet, 
And when they bury oh, the stuff, they say, well, we're going to take it up 25 years from now. Where that, whatever happened to that stuff? We, we dug it up and moved it over to Citizens Bank Park about 2005 or something like that. Uh, I didn't know it was, no, it was still right there. there. Oh, it was a time capsule, a time capsule. Yeah, the yeah time right. Capsule. Yeah, That's what it was, yeah. Well, Larry, we can't have you on. Let me, let me just go back and say we're we're sort of reminiscing about the Phillies, but more importantly, we're trying to honor uh, Rudy Carver, the late president of the Philadelphia Phillies, and uh, one of the really great people. Family owned it, as as Larry said from the at the beginning of the show, that uh, the family owned it. His grandfather, his father, and then Rudy became the carpenter, uh, became the president, and and uh, just a great organization. But I I can't go away without letting you go because. Dallas Green, you talked about the Pope for a minute, uh, Paul Owens, but yeah. Dallas Green, Paul Owens, uh, boy, I'll tell you, if you were if you were a friend of theirs, you were a friend forever. Absolutely, absolutely. They were. We had such a great organization then. You know, you had Dallas, we had Paul as the general manager, really as the president. Dallas as the farm director, and Bill Giles running the business end of it. So it was a great organization during the seventies. Really was. Uh, it was it was, a, it was a family fun place to work. We worked hard, you know. Rudy was Rudy was the president. He was a millionaire. He was a coworker to all of us. He treated yeah. us the same way. He was he was unassuming. You know, he drove to work in an old beat up Chevy Suburban. You know, <laughs> there was nothing fancy about him. You know, and he he was just wonderful to be around. And I'm the, my best story about him involving the two of us was. After he was named president in 1972, I went into his office and said, really, I don't understand this. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, we started the same week in 1963, and now you're the president. I'm still the PR director. And he looked at me and he smiled. He says, he says check your blood. <laughs> that was the answer. We were answered. <laughs> You know, Don, yeah. uh, getting back to Rooley for a second, at Yale he played baseball and football, both two yes. sports, and, and was just a great athlete. And the players all say that when he would come into the uh, clubhouse, it was like he was one of them. He was, they respected yeah. him uh, just as an individual. And uh, that was a great organization, Larry. I mean, yeah, when you, it was. you, uh, I mean, and they were their best of times. They really yes, were. The golden era. We lived in the golden era at that point. Well, so did the sport. That was when the sport was in the yeah. golden era. This we have. This what we have now is not the golden era. I'll tell you that. No. There was no, there was no bleeping analytics back then. Yeah, you yeah, right. got that right. <laughs> We talk about that every week, don't we, Don? Absolutely. Hey, Larry, do you, you remember when Rooley's son was playing ahead, for Tattnall? And yeah. uh, he, he was playing, uh, they were playing St. Mark's. And it was down to the last inning, the last run, and St. Mark's was up by one. Well, Rooley's son comes up, hits the ball out of the park. Unfortunately, it huh? hits a tree right behind the, uh, the fence. And bounces back in, so it's a ground rule double, and the guy coming around from second base got uh, got tagged out, so they lost the lost the game. The next morning, eight o'clock in the morning, Rory was out there. Rory was out there with a uh, saw, uh, a, uh, <laughs> and cut that tree down. 
Ruli Axel really played in the Demi, Demi, Delaware Semi Pro League in the summertime. He was a right fielder. He was pretty good. He, battled, he was a battling athlete. He couldn't run worth a damn. But they had a they had a, a woods in right field behind the right fielder. You know, so if a ball went in there, the right fielder had to find it. Well, he denies this, but I've been told by several people he went out there during batting practice, put a ball behind the tree. A tree, right? <laughs> so when a ball went behind him into the woods, he went right to that tree, picked up the ball, threw it back in. It was the ball that was hit. <laughs> he denies it. But you I do what you him. have to do. <laughs> Larry, before we let you go, uh, one other thing, too. Uh, well, there's a couple of other things, but I'll let these guys get in. Uh, his great association with Delaware. Now, a lot of my, my daughter went to Delaware. My granddaughters go to Delaware. Yep. Uh, oh, good. And, uh, but, but the the Carpenter family in Dallas and and uh, yep. Dallas Green and of course Ruley, uh, Delaware really ruled. Even though he went to Yale himself. Yes, yes, yeah. He was he was a huge fan of Booster. Both of Dad and he were the Booster. And actually, there's the arena down there now, the basketball right. arena, and so called the Bob, which is after Bob Carpenter. You know, right? And, and Bob had died by that time, so Ruley helped. Uh, raise funds for it, you know, and uh, um, they were great supporters. Um, and that was another uh, a great era with with Tubby Raymond there, Dave Nelson before him, and then Tubby Raymond. They dominated that level of football. And right. Oh yeah. A great organ, great great school. Their baseball program was great too. So it was Delaware. They put Delaware on the map, really. And uh, it's just. You know, the things have changed. You know, Bob Carpenter owned the Wilmington Blue Rocks. He put a minor league team in Bloomington, you know, back in the the, the early 40s. <clears throat> and it doesn't, it's not that way anymore, but that's the way it is. But, you know, speaking of analytics, can you imagine Dallas Green going to the mound and saying to Steve Carlton, this is the third time through the lineup I have to take you out? <laughs> <laughs> no, he never would have done that. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, I, 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 some of the great, some of the great games of all time with Steve Crumb pitching. Uh, oh. When the when the two number thirty sixes pitched against each other, Don Newcomb and and Robert Roberts, uh, you know oh, they could yeah. pitch, they'd pitch fifty innings if they had to. Yeah, Robbie pitched a seventeen yeah. inning game tonight. Yeah, you know uh, one of the other things that sad uh, points uh, within the last couple of years, Larry, the passing of David Montgomery. And oh, yeah. it was so wonderful to see him and the, and the ceremony of him going into uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. But I know right. you were really close to him, uh, too. And uh, just what a what a just like Ruley, what a gentleman, oh, a kind heart, wonderful person. Yeah. He knew everybody by the first name, and he wanted to be called yeah. David. He was not Montgomery. He knew the, the he knew the Reading Phillies trainer's wife's name. You know, he knew everybody, and he went out of his way. And we have, he continued the family atmosphere that the Carpenters and Bill Giles had set up there. And it was it was unlike that. It was just, it was really great. It really was great. And now things let me, are changing. Let me interrupt Larry for a second. The Phillies jumped out to a 3 nothing lead. <laughs> but they didn't. Not, <laughs> they just have given up two. <laughs> yeah. This Wendell just hit a home run. So the Phillies are now up 3-2. And uh, nobody's out. Did you say Swindell? They they, they can get a lead, but they can't hold it, Larry. We got a lot of problems. 
Do <laughs> <laughs> you get the many games? No, I don't go. I can't get around. I got physical problems getting around, mobility problems, and you know it's I, so my lazy boy chair and my TV is too convenient. No traffic, you know. <laughs> I just like I I stay home and, and don't go anymore. I can't go anymore, so that's the way it is. So you know it is, but it's I mean it's, it's so frustrating. I mean that we, we haven't had a winning. Se- you know everybody talks about we haven't been in the playoffs. Hope we haven't had a winning season for ten years. Yeah, right. it's hard to believe. It, it, it's it is very frustrating, and uh, you know when you live and die like we do, and uh, and especially last year and the year before. I mean, with the bullpen. I mean, and this year, what they've blown thirty saves. Well, yep. if it was only twenty saves, they'd be in first place in the East. And you know those ten games. I mean, it's 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 just a very frustrating time. And um, you know who knows. I mean, uh, you can only hope that the future. But I know it's going to take some time to get the minor league uh, situation squared away. Minor leagues, they're not very good. They don't have any. No. They don't have young. They they're not very deep. The draft has been. We don't have good Latin players. I mean, we don't have an Aquino or so or Albies. You know and. It's it's I don't know it's, it's sad somewhat. I'm just glad I'm not living it anymore and being there. You know it's it's and I don't want to sound like an old grouch, but it, and we had a great time. We had a great era. It was a different game, and it's a, it's a different game. So I I can't adjust. Not, it. Only, I have trouble. not only that, Larry, but uh, we had a great crew of guys, uh, and I don't want to go over one by one, but we had a great crew no. of guys in the press box. I mean. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's nothing like today. Everybody looks at today, and and you know, you got fifty people up there. <laughs> well, you know, when when we were covering the games, the Kellys and the uh, Conlon and uh, Lewis, and uh, you know, everybody knew everybody, and it was uh, it was a that was also a wonderful era. Buff State, yeah. uh, so many great people that we worked with, and. Uh, but, Larry, I want to thank you very, very much once again for everybody listening. We spent about a half hour here talking with Larry Shank and about the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, Larry worked for the organization longer than, I guess, anybody else in the history of the team. And, so uh, Larry, I want to thank you so much. And I hope every once in a while we'll give you a call just to touch on Absolutely. something. Absolutely. I really I, appreciate I, you taking the time. My, my pleasure. Anytime, you guys. Anytime. Larry, I'll be in touch, too, just to ch- talk. I love talking to you. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Say hello to Debbie and the kids. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care, Larry. Thank you so much. Now we're going to switch gears again because uh, Mike Zibzak is ready to go. Boy, we've got about 88 ways we could go with Mike tonight. There's a lot of soccer news, but before we do that, he touched on something two weeks ago that I thought was right on the money and turned out to be in the first period of the Washington football team turned out to be a reality. Fitzpatrick went down, and now what do you do? <laughs> so, uh, Mike, you talked about it. It was a possibility. What was uh, what were they going to do if it did happen? And it looks like he's going to be out for, what, four or five weeks now? Uh, give us an update no, on that. We're, 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 we're talking, um, we, it's six to eight weeks. Oh, is it six to eight now? Yeah. It's going to be six to eight weeks. So, bigger uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick missing seven games. 
including the buy. <clears throat> and among them are the games that you've talked about, the Bills, the Packers, the Broncos. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, that's where we are right now. You think well, they can I'll recover? You, Mike, you think they can recover from this? Um, I think that. So, I think that this will answer a couple of questions y'all are about to ask me. The the Washington Football Team wants to see what Taylor Heineke can do. Uh, by far, he is the most athletic quarterback on the roster. He has the best ability to anticipate pressure, get out of it, and make a best uh, and make a play. But his arm strength is not there. Uh, he, he he's not consistently accurate. His miss tends to be high. He we don't know whether or not uh, what the turnovers are going to be because in his entire career he has started three games. And in those three games, he has 59 completions, and his uh, average completion is, uh, uh, is 6.5 yards, right? So we don't know what we're getting. Nobody around here thinks that over the next couple of weeks, I shouldn't say nobody. I think that only the most hardened Redskins fans think that, the, that he is going to prove to be the future. Everybody's like, can he keep us in here? And I think three and four over the seven uh, over the next seven weeks would be great for him. Well, he's had three shots to uh, get his old quarterback back. Rivera coached him at Carolina and uh, had a chance to get him back last year and let him go to, to the Patriots. Now he doesn't have a quarterback. Do you think he's going to go back to Captain America? No, he has said that that is not his intention. Okay. Uh, he, Roger? He has made it very blatantly clear. No, go ahead, Mike. No, uh, uh, Ron Rivera has made it very blatantly clear he is not going after Cam Newton. Is that because of uh, a, a conflict in uh, personalities and uh, football uh, thought and, and uh, procedure, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Like there, there is a clearly a disagreement in between the two. Uh, he yes, when Ron was coach at the uh, uh, the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton won an MVP and helped them get there. But he has made it blatantly clear that he has no interest in getting him back. He's not going in that direction. Taylor Heineke is going to start these games unless he's injured. And if he's injured, then he'll go to one of the other quarterbacks on this roster. Uh, there is, according to Ron Rivera, there is no chance that the Redskins are going to sign Cam uh, uh, Newton. Well, we talked about it last week. We thought the only chance that Cam Newton really had was for something to happen like happened to Fitzpatrick where uh, a team would be desperate for at least a backup quarterback with a great deal of experience. And I thought when that happened on Sunday, I said, oh, boy, this may be his, you know, this may be his chance now to get back in because Rivera's going to need somebody. 
but you answered that question for me. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. So, uh, Roger, uh, go to it. Go ahead, Mike. No, uh, Roger, go ahead, because that's right. No, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I, you know, the uh, if they were in a different division, uh, I, I think that uh, possibly the Eagles would make a deal if they got a decent uh, a draft pick uh, for Joe Flacco, uh, because of uh, they signed uh, what is Gardner? Uh, uh, I forget Gardner his name, Minshew. but he's pretty. Uh, yeah, Minshew. Yeah, he's, he's very athletic and much more uh, in style with. Uh, with Hurts, uh, Jalen Hurts, than uh, than Joe Flacco is, and I think Joe Flacco would be more in the Ryan Fitzpatrick mold. Uh, mold, but uh, you know who knows? I mean, maybe uh, Ron's going to just uh, take the look at the the, the uh, future and say, hey, you know, we're going to go with what we have this year. That's it. Roger, I think you're a hundred percent right. Uh, Ron is uh, uh, Ron Rivera is going to go with what he's got right now. He was the one who signed. Uh, he was the one who signed Taylor Heineke to the contract. He liked him as a backup. He was the one who installed him as the backup to Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's going to ride with him. He's going to see what he can do. Basically, everybody around here in the D.C. area says, we don't think he's the future. What we want to see is, is he a serviceable backup? Can he keep us in contention through this? Right. Well, let's get to your primary bailiwick, which is soccer. The last couple of weeks, we had so many things to talk to you about, and we still do between the hockey, the football, the baseball, what's happening down there with Washington. But uh, I, want to, I want to get to soccer for a minute because that's really your, uh, your strength, and we talk about it a lot. And I just, uh, uh, just following a little bit on some of the things administratively that are happening, uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, is, is proposing to have equal money now for men and women. That's something that uh, everybody's been fighting. I shouldn't say everybody. Women have been fighting for for quite some time. Uh, that's one thing to touch on, and maybe you want to touch on something else. Um, Don, it's a very interesting proposal. One of, the re- one of the things that I've been saying on this podcast for years is that how the women make their money versus how the men make their money are completely different. Uh, the women had asked for certain guarantees, their salaries when they play in the domestic league are guaranteed by USA Soccer, whereas the men's aren't. Now, that, the, that USA Soccer had said, what we're going to do is we're going to put the bonuses together uh, and we're going to give them equally. It's very, very interesting because, let's be honest, over the last couple of cycles, the – Women's team has brought in way more money into USA Soccer than the men's team has. Since the men's team last competed in the World Cup, the women have won two. And 
both of those games have been amongst the highest-rated USA soccer games that we have seen. So now what we see is the women are getting their fair piece of the pie, and I, I think that's right. Roger? Yeah, Atlanta uh, United's up 3 nothing over uh, Cincinnati, Mike. I'm going back and forth from the Braves and uh, to, and uh, the uh, United game. Uh, Roger, you also, watch the Braves uh, game because who cares about Atlanta United versus Cincinnati? Not because <laughs> anybody doesn't like you, uh, Atlanta United, but what have Cincinnati United got? Uh, what have Cincinnati got? Well, not much, okay? But, you know, it's it's a soccer game. But I wanted to, to mention to you, and you probably are aware of this, they're having a big press conference uh, at uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium on Friday about the uh, FILA. And uh, are you aware of that? Um, I'm aware of a lot of press conferences going around, and – I'm not 100% sure what this one is about. Uh, one of the big things that's been on the radar recently, and, Roger, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and it may not have anything to do with what you're talking about, but uh, they are starting to finalize the stadiums Yeah. that can be in the running for – hosting World Cup matches in 2026. And I know that Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta is involved in this. Yeah, that's what I'm not is. 100%. Okay. So I'm not 100% wrong on this. Yeah, they're, so uh, Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta is involved. FedEx here in D.C. is involved. And uh, uh Citizens Bank in Philly is definitely one they've been looking at. Wow. That would be interesting, you know, to put it in a uh, baseball uh, uh, ballpark. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I was wrong. Not Citizens Bank. Oh, Lincoln. you mean the link. The link. Yeah, the link. Yeah, the link. Yeah, that would – oh, the, uh, the uh, United just scored again now 4 uh, nothing over Cincinnati. 4 nothing. Yeah. I actually – think that the link Roger has a better shot than uh, Mercedes because Mercedes is a turf field. Yeah, in order right. to play a World Cup game, you have to have natural grass. The link is a natural grass field. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, they made that rule a few years ago when they were playing over in New York. Uh, they had to take up the, had a guarantee that they would have uh, you know, regulation grass that they wouldn't play if there was any part of it was artificial. So uh, that's been in effect, I think, uh, maybe for four or five years now, isn't it? Oh, Don, you're lying to yourself if you think it's only four or five years. This goes back to the World Cup in 94. They had to lay a glass, wow. glass carpet down at Old Giant Stadium so that they could right. host the game up there. Right. I remember it was a giant stadium. I just said, remember what year it was. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go, well, you're yeah, going by too fast for me now. <laughs> Mike, I can't remember these. One of the things, though, on the, up, on the upset beat, uh, Ronaldo, uh, that's a little bit of an upset, the fact that uh, Manchester United lost to Sweden. And that, I guess that was a big, a big story. 
Okay, so for anybody who doesn't know, I am a huge Manchester United fan. Uh, it it was very interesting. Number one, seeing him come back and play his first game in Old Trafford in about 18 years uh, on Saturday against Newcastle. Yes, uh, they got beat by a Swiss team, uh, Young Boys. Uh, but it's the first game in the Champions League. It happens. I hope that it gets people more interested to watch this. It'll be on uh, Paramount Plus where all the games are. Tune in and watch it. It's a, for my money, it's, mo, uh, it's my favorite tournament in sports to watch, probably next to the uh, NCAA basketball tournament. Roger? Yeah, well, they, uh, you know, I wanted to get back to uh, the, uh, the women's uh, situation. Uh, how, do you have any idea, Mike, because you know more about it than any of us, how are they going to work this, this out? I mean, it's one thing to make a statement, but it's something else to really uh, implement it. So what the proposal involves is that bonuses for games played, tournaments won, and for diems should be equal. And that is the proposal that I understand that USA Soccer has put towards both the men's team and the women's team. So they will get equal bonuses for the number of games they play. If they win the same the, the tournaments, there will be equal bonuses involved in that, and the per diems uh, will be will be equal. I think one of the big questions that's an outlier, Roger, is uh, playing conditions. The women's team has been asked to play on uh, artificial turf in smaller stadiums a lot more often than the men's team has. I think that may be the hang-up in this particular negotiation. Uh, Mike, let me just jump in and say the uh, Phillies have scored one run. They're ahead 4-2 to two right now, and they've got runners on second and third, and Didi's at the plate. Uh, they're in the bottom of the fifth inning. Uh, I haven't had a chance to check the bets out recently to see what they were doing. They were down 2 nothing last I looked. Uh, let, let's uh, switch gears for a second, Mike, and, and go back to Washington. Uh, they got off to a shaky start, obviously losing Fitzpatrick. Uh, how do you assess where they are right now going into game two? I think it's going to be a very tough game against the Giants. Tomorrow if night. Were so long, yeah, tomorrow, and that's the reason. It's tomorrow night. If you had a full week, you might have had time to give Taylor Heineke a game plan. But the big question is going to be the Washington, uh, the Washington football team's defense. Not for nothing. They were really bad against the, uh, against the Chargers. They allowed 78 offensive plays, and they allowed the Chargers to be 14 for 19 on third downs. If your goal is to be one of the NFL elite defenses, 
you got to limit time of possession. You've got to limit the number of plays. And you've got to get off the field on third down. That was something that the Washington football team's defense did not do. When we talk about the stretch that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be out, I think it's more down to how the defense is going to play than what Taylor Heineke can give you. If the defense legit gives you a shot to win, and they need to be on the field to win, uh, Washington only had 45 offensive plays in the entire game against San Diego. So I know it was a 20 to 6 score, but I think that belies how much the, um, the, the, the Chargers actually dominated that game on offense. The Washington defense is really going to come up and need to do some things to give Taylor Heineke and the Washington football team's offense a chance to win these games. You know, getting back to the turf uh, for a second, Mike, we all, maybe you don't because you're younger, but uh, we remember the three of us when uh, the uh, what they call the Junior Army-Navy game, which was PMC versus the Merchant Marine Academy, it was the first game played in a roof situation at the old uh, Atlantic City Convention Hall on the boardwalk, and they put turf in there and played it on real turf. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it can be done where they could do that uh, at um, – Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but who knows whether they would want to do that. But uh, that would be the uh, the option. And and the uh, Cincinnati Atlanta United games over Atlanta won four nothing. What's the Atlanta score tonight, Roger? What 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 are they doing tonight? I haven't seen any score on them. Oh, uh, the Braves are up one nothing, but the Rockies have uh, man at first and third with only one out, and it's the, uh, the uh, bottom of the or top of the fifth. Uh, the Phillies have been retired. D.D. went out 4-3, and uh, with runners on second and third, and a score, they got one run in, so it's 4-2 to two in the top of the sixth inning. Go ahead, it Mike. Getaway day down, it was getaway day down in here in uh, the D.C. area, and the Nats played a 1 o'clock game against the Marlins, and the Marlins won 8-6. Yep. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be, a, I, I, you know, the, there's so much spread between in, in most of the divisions between the top. I mean, I mean really, the the contest in, in uh, the National League right now is only for the playoff spots. I mean, it's, it's, nobody's going <laughs> to nobody's going to catch the Braves, I don't think. And then you go up and down on both leagues, and I mean, teams have such big leads. The teams that are, I mean, there's really no no chance of. Uh, uh, of, of a real contest in the last two weeks. Do you see it that way too, Mike? I'm, I'm absolutely with you. But, you know, the new playoff format has given us this, that we can look at some of these games with the Phillies and say, like, they still have a shot to actually get into the playoffs. Ah, you know, I, don't, I don't buy that. <laughs> Uh, well, oh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy they can get by Atlanta. They, I agree with you. They can get by as the, 
you know, maybe the wild card team, but they're not going to win anything. No, they're not getting by Atlanta, but maybe they could get by the Reds or the Padres to sneak in. And wouldn't it be nice, again, to see the Phillies in a playoff game? Sure would. I mean, (laughs) I, I can remember still the first playoff game that I saw in live, much after y'all, but uh, Roy Holiday against the Reds and driving over to Citizens Bank Park and thinking to myself, wouldn't it be awesome if Roy Holiday threw a no-hitter? Sure as hell, what did and he, he do? did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to right, for the my, fact that I called that. Was, yeah, my first one was in 77. And uh, I can tell you, uh, and I know Don and Frank remember it well, uh, there was, uh, you talk about electricity, 76, the uh, uh, bicentennial, uh, and it was a packed house for the All-Star game at at, uh, the vet. And what were there, I think, 65,000 there, right, Don, for the All-Star game? Mm-hmm. That was some special night, let me tell you. Yes, it was. And uh, Cubs have been retired to the top of the seventh, so uh, they were going to the Phillies count in the bottom of the seventh, lead four two. So uh, if the Braves win Rocky tonight, tied and, up the uh, they, Braves and uh, they brought tied they, up. And the Bra- the, yeah, and the, what happened is there. Uh, it was a bunt, a sacrifice, and Freddie Freeman. I swear that he got it in foul territory. And then he threw, threw it over, their, uh, I guess, Darno's uh, head. So uh, that's how they got their run. And there's uh, still a man on first and second, 2-2 two, two count, top of the fifth, and it's now even at one. Well, Mike, let's get back and switch gears once again. Uh, how about uh, you mentioned the baseball team and what happened today uh, against Miami. Uh, but how about is there any news on the, on the hockey front? Are the Capitals doing anything? The Capitals are pretty much staying pat. Um, I think, again, after the Also Veskin signing, that was their big move for the offseason. They got a Veskin lockdown. They have secured him for what will be his entire career. He will be, in my mind, I think he'll be one of the last, like, Hall of Fame players that plays for one team. The question is, can they put a team around him that can give him the ability for Stanley Cup? And we in this area have a lot of differences over, you know, can you just get veterans run on an old team and hope to win? Or what do you need to put around Ovechkin at this point to give him the opportunity to win another Stanley Cup. I know for a fact that if I sat here in D.C. and said, you know, I'm going to give you Alex Ovechkin's career. He's going to bring you a Stanley Cup. When he got drafted, everybody would said, yeah, that's fine. But I think now when we look upon what he has done, the playoff opportunities that they've had, if he only wins one Stanley Cup, 
it's going to be kind of a letdown. I can't disagree with you there. And, and uh, well, we touched on a little bit of everything, Mike, as we normally do. And I want to thank you very, very much for this segment of the show. We'll look forward to next week as well. And uh, you'll have that soccer situation straightened out. The women will be able to get equal money. You'll have that all taken care of. And whatever else may be on the front, and more importantly, you'll have the Washington football team at the top of the of the top of your show. So, thank you very much as always. Hey, um, Don, before I roll out, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Victor and Chuck. I ended up wandering into my normal pub tonight and ran into two uh, Marines. Victor and Chuck, very uh, old school guys, and I was hanging out with them, and I just want to give my appreciation to them. Very awesome guys, great guys to talk to, and full credit to what the uh, U.S. military is and who they turn out. Mm-hmm. Anytime Amen. we can talk That's about true. the military, it's always on a positive note, so you hit it too, uh, uh, Mike, and I appreciate that very much as well. And as I say, we'll get together next week and start it all over again. Thank you. Uh, have a great catch week. y'all, gentlemen, next week. Y'all have okay. a good one, and I'll catch y'all next Wednesday. Okay. Right. Doug Hamilton is in the wings and ready to go, as always. Uh, he always winds up our show each and every week. Uh, Doug, a couple of things to talk about. Uh, one, I guess it was no surprise. Uh, the golfer of the year after he won the FedEx Cup and fifteen million bucks. Uh, I guess they couldn't have gone anywhere else except <laughs> he he was the only one really in the running, I guess, to be the, the golfer of the year. Yeah, interesting to see. Um obviously down the stretch he he played very well, um, cashed himself a pretty big paycheck and um, you know, next on the horizon here is uh you know, hopefully he can play well enough in the Ryder Cup that we can um you know, actually win one. Um, curious to see if Brooks Kepka is healthy enough to play in that, or or, or how they're going to replace him if if he can't go. Um, you know, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I can't uh, I can't let you get off the hook without talking about last night's game. <laughs> I know yeah, you were on the edge. No, of your, I know you were on the edge <laughs> of your seat. We talked about it the first half hour yeah. of the program back at seven thirty mm-hmm. at that great length. But uh, I've got to talk to you about it because I know you're a died-the-wool Raven fan, and you must have died with that game at the end. Um, You know, yes and no. I mean, um, you know, football is, um, you know, from time to time very mercurial in a sense of momentum and and things that happen. Um, You know, I thought the the Ravens did a pretty good job of of, uh, establishing some offense in the first half and and getting out to – you know, a decent lead. Um, a little disappointed, um, you know, when they went for it on fourth down, um, you know, instead of kicking it. I mean, I know it would have been a sizable field goal, but, um, you know, Justin Tucker's obviously a, a good enough kicker that he can make a 50, 51, 52 yarder. Um, questionable call there, but I, I get it. Um, you know, I think the game had its, you know, share of ups and downs and twists and turns and, um, you know, when, when Tuck kicked that field goal to put us up three uh, with under a minute, I thought, you know, I, I think we can hold on to this. And then obviously their their kicker made a really good kick. 
um, from 55 yards, I think, or whatever it was, to tie it. Um, you know, disappointing, tough loss on the road. Um, you know, not not the way you want to start the season for sure. They let, they lost another offensive lineman. I, I was a little disappointed. I thought Tyson Williams played very well in the first half and deserved to, you know, come out of the, the locker room and continue to tote the football. And, you know, I, I get the fact that they have um, – you know, lots of injuries, their their whole, um, you know, I mean, they've lost, I don't know, six six or more guys to ACLs, and their whole running back room has uh, changed hands, you know, a couple different times now. And Latavius Murray, I think, is a, um adequate, uh, serviceable running back, but I think he's more of a, a straight line kind of a guy. And I think that, you know, I, I mean – I understand Le'Veon Bell maybe not up to speed, but I mean he's a he's a um, adequate replacement who catches the football out of the backfield is more of a shiftier runner. I think that you know to make that switch in the second half to Latavius Murray was a little disappointing to me. I think that you could tell early on that the Ravens were intent on putting Lamar Jackson in the pocket and letting him throw the football, and I think he did you know very well. I think he made the most of his scrambles, um, you know, with rushing yards. I, I know that. He he coughed the ball up twice, but, um, you know, he's trying to make some plays in an otherwise situation where, you know, somebody had to do it and he, he gave his best effort. Um, you know, I thought their defense played pretty well. I liked having Justin Houston on the field. I think Patrick Queen played well. I think their secondary, you know, devoid of Marcus Peters towards ACL played pretty well. I mean, you know, unfortunately, they, they're booby prizes. They get they get a chance to come back home and play the Kansas City Chiefs, um, which is another tough matchup. Um, you know, facing Patrick Mahomes is you know it can't be any fun. Uh, you know, for that for that secondary, I think that you know Darren Waller played uh, very well and, and, and is pretty much the entire Raiders offense. Um, he had 19 targets. So, you know, they had, uh, I think, 10 catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, that presents a problem because, obviously, Travis Kelsey's as good, if not better, of a tight end, so stopping him is an issue. Um, Tyree Kill is one of the faster players in the NFL from the wide receiver position. Um, I'm not sure who covers him or how that's even possible. Um, you know, so this this could be or has to be a high-scoring game uh, for the Ravens to be able to stay in it. And if they get behind early, they always have a difficult time putting points on the board. Um, so, I mean, I, unfortunately, I see them starting the season at 0-2 and um, licking their wounds after that and seeing what they can do to uh, go back to the drawing board. Um, so, tough start to the season for sure. I sure agree with that. Everything you said, I think you're exactly on target. By the way, uh, Colorado has just scored another run. It's 2-1 now over the Braves. Roger, you're up. Well, the uh, I'll t- tell you, uh, getting back to the Ravens, uh, what do you think that uh, flight back from Las Vegas was? Well, my hope uh, is what that that uh, my hope is that it was a um, you know any any time you take a flight. You know, back home after a tough loss, um, there's probably a lot of reflection uh, during that period of time. Um, you know, travel time is think time. Uh, my hope is that, you know, guys were consoling you know, other guys and, and having an opportunity to talk about the football game and what they can do better and, um, you know, trying to get on the same page. And, and um, it was a bonding experience is what my hope would be. Um, 
you know, I think that Coach Harbaugh is an incredibly positive guy who who knows how to rally his troops and and um, you know focus on the positive things. Um, they have a very good coaching staff, and I'm sure that they got back to uh, you know watching tape and understanding you know, what their deficiencies were, and and hopefully uh, coaching up coaching up some of these guys. I mean, I hate to say it because it's a pretty cliche and it's a crutch, but I mean they have. Uh, I thought I thought Sammy Watkins looked um, very good uh, running routes. I thought that um, you know they have uh, Rashad Bateman and I thought Marquise Brown looked really good catching the football. Uh, I'd like to have seen Mark Andrews a little more in, involved in the game, but I think that they have um, some inconsistencies with gelling, uh, if you will, of their football team because of injuries. Um, you know, and I think that's that's kind of tough to start the season under that you know manifold of um, you know, just different guys in your room that you're not used to having. Um, you know, so my hope is that they can quickly come together and, and uh, focus on football and, and play the best they can. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough schedule that they have. I mean, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers are a good football team. The Cleveland Browns are a good football team. They have to play each one of those guys twice. Uh, obviously, their, their out-of-conference uh, schedule is a very difficult schedule, having to play back-to-back weeks of, of uh, you know, a loss to the Raiders and then also, you know, playing the Chiefs. So it, it's going to be a tough road for them. Um, we know that it's a 17-game season. I think your focal point has to be on, you know, getting to 10 wins, and, and however that happens, it happens. Um, you know, so we'll see. Doug, the thing you touched on at the top, I think, was really right on target. The first half hour uh, or second half hour, we talked to Darrell Lidbetter, who – covers the Atlanta Falcons and has covered them for mm-hmm. years and years and years uh, with Roger down there in Atlanta. They, they talk a lot about the Atlanta Falcons that we did on the program. Two different yeah. philosophies. Two different philosophies. The Atlanta Falcons went into the game against the Eagles on Sunday with none of the regular players having played at all during right. the uh, exhibition season. Harbaugh sure. is just the opposite. Harbaugh wants to win. But as you pointed yeah. out, and it turned out to be a key factor, he's lost 13 people. So far yeah. from the beginning of training camp until the game the other night, I don't necessarily sure. think that uh, that that injury report was really reflective of the losing the game. But I do right. think in the long run, you can't lose that many people and expect to have the same kind of performance. Well, um, I you know I believe that the Ravens from top to bottom are um, a good football team. Uh, they have. Um, some depth at uh, positions that afford them the luxury. I mean, you can't replace a guy like Marcus Peters, who's an all-pro guy, shut down corner. Um, the good news is Tavon Young, um, number 25, um, has been sidelined for the past two years with, with alternating knee injuries of ACL. Um, he was on the field, and I thought he looked okay. It was nice to see him play football. Um, they really like Anthony Averett um, as, a, as a corner, and I think it's going to give him an opportunity to play some football this year. I believe they have um, Chris West, Chris Westerly. I believe he's number thirty or thirty-five, uh, six foot four, two hundred and something pound corner that they really like. And you know, unfortunately, the uh, the affordability of, of getting some of these guys into the football game that otherwise wouldn't have played um, hopefully will pay some long-term dividends. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I thought their pass rush looked better it's still not good but it looked better um you know and and i hate to say it but i mean would i like to see jk dobbins and gus edwards run the football and would that have made a difference because i felt like they 
uh, tiptoed a little bit around the, the, the running game in terms of, of um, you know, letting Lamar throw the football more. And I think they abandoned uh, some of what their strength is, which is running the game. Um, you know, um, I don't think that changes the identity of their offense, you know, much for, you know, moving forward. But, but um, you know, my hope is that they get back to what they're good at, which I think um, is running the football in a power, you know, scheme with the ability to do play action and hit tight ends and intermediate passes, which I think is the strength of Lamar Jackson. Um, also, you know, obviously letting him run the football plays, I think, is, is integral to their offense and, 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 um, and, and how they score points. Um, they have a tremendous field goal kicker. They have a good special teams unit. So, you know, my hope is that in the long run things work out for them, but they're going to have to grind. I mean, that's the way it is. Roger? Roger? Or, yeah, you know, but I agree with you, everything you've said about uh, uh, Coach Harbaugh. And, you know, he comes from the Andy Reid. Uh, yeah. And Andy still believes, and I agree with him, I still like the idea that they uh, go to camp away from uh, the, the, uh, their own facility uh, and, you know, they're in dormitory rooms or a hotel, but yeah. they're away from complex. I think it pays dividends, and I guess it's old sure. school, but I think Harbaugh still does that, doesn't he, too? Um, you know, they do their camp at uh, Western Maryland College, McDaniel, I think, as they call it now. Um, yeah. You know, but I, I think that most of what they do is probably at one winning drive in Owings Mills, which is their which is their castle as they speak. Um, um, but you know, with COVID and all that stuff, my you know my idea is that they they probably close a lot of that down to the masses of people. So, um, you know, I guess it's not like the olden days when guys slept in bunk beds that were reminiscent of you know, what, what you would do at, at college or, or, or in the military or those, you know, crummy metal, like, you know what I mean? Scenarios where they had <laughs> and shit like that. So, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, however they need to come together as a team, I think is important. Um, you know, adversity is something that, you know, as you deal with it, you, you figure out what you got, you know, what, what kind of foxhole you're in when you can look around and see a guy that you're not used to seeing, but he's got, you know, he's going to cover your back. Uh, so that's, kind of what they need to build, I think, moving forward without their regulars, and that's the only way you can win. Doug, yeah, uh, just to repeat for those uh, folks that are listening along the line that are not familiar, Doug, of course, a PGA professional <laughs> down in the Washington, Baltimore area and has his own club yeah. down there. And uh, so I like to emphasize that each week that uh, we have a chance to talk to Doug, talk golf. Yeah. Things are sort of on a slowdown uh, mode right now following the uh, – yeah. uh, Tournament just completed, as we said. Sure. Or Cantley Cantley won the $15 million and then became the player of the year. But how about the uh-huh. captain uh, coming up and the selections that he made as opposed to the selections that he took by rank? Well, you know, I think that whole system was, was part and parcel to trying to find guys that were um, hot at the time. Um, you know, your six qualifiers and then six captain's picks. The Europeans do it a little bit differently. They only have three captain's picks. But um, I think the bigger the bigger question moving forward is the United States has never been a very good team-oriented, you know, uh, scenario um, when they play in their in their early matches. When they play in their individual matches, typically they're fine. But, but to get to that point, um, you know, you have to find some level of camaraderie between who you pair, um, you know, and, and can those guys play together, which they're not used to doing. The Europeans have historically been better in those uh, matches as, as opposed to the United States. 
Um, we have a lot of very good individual players, but not necessarily team-oriented, and I think that's always been a problem. Um, you know, so I'm hopeful that, that Coach Stricker has done his homework and due diligence with regard to, to figuring out who likes to play with whom um, and who's playing the best at the time um, when, he, when he puts his substitutions on the bench. So we'll see. Roger? Well, the, the we will see. And uh, what do you? What's your prognosis for the future of the Orioles, Doug? They're having <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, um, sometimes life is a gigantic kind of, you know, poop sandwich, and sometimes you got to take a bite of it. You know, that's just the way it is to be an Orioles fan. That. You know, they're just not good, and, and it takes time for players in the minor leagues to develop themselves and get ready. I think that um, their, their hitters, I think, I think were okay, um, but their pitching staff is just the worst it could pop. I mean, you cannot continue to run, you know, guys out there uh, that are giving up, you know, six, seven, eight runs in, in a two, three, four inning span. Like, I just don't understand how a major league pitcher can, can do that. Um, it's it's embarrassing to watch some of these guys go out there and, and throw the, the baseball. And, you know, like Jorge Lopez um, throws like 95 to 98 miles an hour. I mean, I, I, I would just – that's like winning a lot. That's like the lottery ticket that I've always wanted to be able to throw the baseball that hard and then to look around and think, like, I can't get anybody out. How can you not get anybody out throwing the baseball that hard? Location, you know, I location, I, location. I, I mean yeah. – debatable i mean completely debatable of where you throw the ball and how you change speeds and you know all these sorts of things but damn that's a that's a heck of a good start um you know i just i just don't get it um you know the guys that they run out there on a regular basis are just they're not even triple a quality to to some degree um so i i don't know what they have to do to get pitchers out there that can give them i mean cedric mullins had an unbelievable year i mean that that guy I mean, he, he, I mean, by the time the year ends, he could be 30-30. Um, you know, Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes. I mean, a lot of these guys played particularly well. But to not have any support from a pitching staff and, and, and a bullpen and, and some of their, you know, ancillary players was just, I mean, they, you can't, I mean, they're, they have 46 wins. That's embarrassing. You know, I mean, I, I mean that's, that's like taking a, a true-false question, you know, question, Test and, and getting a fifty percent. Like how how could you do that? You well, know, those were just out of time. Just just tick. Frank says tick, tick, as tick. always, Doug. As tick. always, Doug. We got a lot going on each week, and uh, I tell you, yeah. really appreciate. It. Hope everything stays well with the golf course with you. Of course, and we'll do yes, it sir. again next week. We'll do. Doug, take Look forward care. to it. Great talking okay. to you. Have a great week, everyone. God bless, Frank. Thanks for everything as usual. Masterful job, Don. You take care. Be safe. Will do. Well, thank Roy Cummings, our first guest, and of course Darrell Ledbetter down in Atlanta. Larry Shank, one of the great PR people of all time with the Philadelphia Phillies, the longest-running PR person, I believe, in the history of the National League. Mike uh, Zimchek, who checked with us on soccer, checked with us on football, basketball, and so forth down in Washington, and of course Doug Hamilton, who just completed with the golf front. So, Frank, another great job. Thank you very much, and uh, best of uh, luck to the uh, Carpenter family and, and certainly Ruley Carpenter, who passed away last Sunday. Thank you very much. Yeah, true. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, 
10 minute when police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. These are very tough times for men and women in uniform. These programs are dedicated to those who've lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, <clears throat> Patrolman uh, David Curtis, Sergeant Thomas, yeah, uh, Bidger, uh, Officer Jeffrey Yaswitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Randy Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hunter, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, yeah, Officer Charlie Condon, Department, <laughs> Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, uh, Deputy, Mike Godwin, uh, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant um, Chris Lillage, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrol uh, Deputy Mike Malik, Pernalis County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Lot Enough, Kristen Lake, PD, Captain Matt Laterno, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy <clears throat> April Rodriguez, Casco <clears throat> County Sheriff's Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Long Beach Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, and FBLE Special Inspector Vinny Galacio. My brothers and sisters are learning maybe 10 7 at this point in time, it's okay, maybe 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a good week.